0: From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We hear a lot about problems in our community, such as lack of access to health care, including mental health services, homelessness, lack of services for our elders, and help for children transitioning from foster care. When we look to government programs or the traditional medical system, often it seems the solutions can be slow to come. In this episode of Stray Talk, we look at innovative community-based solutions happening here at home, and one that's happening across the world, training grandmothers in Zimbabwe to help people with depression. It's something called the Friendship Bench, we'll see how that works and what we can learn from it. I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Dr. Dorenda Schubert, Executive Director of Bridge Meadows in Portland. She's a psychologist and she's a champion of intergenerational solutions to complex social challenges. Dr. Rachel Solotaraf is an MD and the president and CEO of Central City Concern in Portland. And later, we'll meet Dr. Dixon Chibanda, a psychiatrist in Zimbabwe. We'll talk to him about the Friendship Bench and grandmothers as mental health advocates. First, Rachel and Dorenda, welcome to Straight Talk. It's so wonderful to have you both here. Thank you it's for
1: It's great to be us. here. Thank you, Laurel.
0: First, what do we mean by community-based health and a community-based health approach? And why is it important? Let's begin with Rachel from Central City Concern.
1: Great, thanks, Laurel. You know, I think of community-based health as grounded in that idea of deeply listening. And that is really at the core of what Central City Concern has done for the past 40 years or so. The mission of Central City Concern is to, not to just deliver widgets, to deliver services, but to actually try to solve a problem, to figure out how we advance solutions to the problem of homelessness. And the only way to solve that problem is to listen to the people who have experienced it and can help design and drive those solutions. And also knowing that um, the solutions which may have worked two or three years ago, or maybe even six, gosh, 12 months ago, might not work today. So that that process of listening and engaging, designing, implementing, listening some more, designing and implementing is really core to what, in in my view, in my colleague's view, um, community-based health is all about. Thank you, Rachel. And
0: Dorenda, how do you define health? And why do you think
2: a community-based
0: health approach is so important at Bridge Meadows?
2: Well, health at Bridge Meadows is living with intention and flourishing and living your best life, being surrounded by people who care about you, feeling a sense of belonging, having a reason to get up in the morning and living with purpose. One of our young persons says, "Um, so most people have only two grandmothers, I have like 42, and what that translates to me and the sense of health is that this child knows that he is not alone and he has not only his family and his siblings who to, to care about him, but he has his entire community of people who care about him. And when we have peop- more people than one or two care about us, we really have a sense of, of groundedness and that can help us flourish. It's also under being with people Uh, who understand your life experience and who can meet you where you're at and provide support and listening as Rachel just said. It's also having stable housing, access to food and access to good schools and access to what we need to live our best lives. Can you tell us
0: more Dorinda, about how Bridge Meadows works? People may not know the model and, and maybe a story about
2: how you've seen innovation at work there. Sure. Rich Meadows, we create intergenerational communities for a very special purpose. And our purpose is to support children who've experienced foster care. We support their forever families and elders who live with meaning and purpose. So it's three generations coming together to live and flourish together. We have a a contract with the state of Oregon child welfare system who, who sends families to us and then elders have learned about us from all of the incredible media we receive nationally and locally, and they want to live with a sense of I matter. I have still have things to give. I still want to be a mean. I want to have a meaningful life and contribute. And um, what better way than to be supportive to children as mentors and as surrogate grandparents? And it's really, if you boiled it all the way down, it's really about neighbors supporting neighbors.
0: And Rachel, what about at Central City Concern? Tell us about the work you do there and what innovative approaches you've taken.
1: Yeah, sure. So at Central City Concern, as I talked about, we um, are working to provide solutions to homelessness. And so in pursuit of that, we provide services in a handful of areas. So we... Um, own, manage, and provide services in over 2,000 units of supportive housing across the metro area. Um, we provide supportive employment services with the idea that anybody who wants to work can work. And we also provide comprehensive health care which is inclusive of primary care of addictions care of mental health care and then the fourth element i think of is really the secret sauce of central city concern it's woven throughout all of our services and that's peer support Um, Kind of similar to what Dorinda was prescribing people who have that lived experience walking alongside clients walking alongside patients and residents Helping to sort of guide them along their journey because maybe that peer is a couple further a couple years further along um, And can really help to chart that course for an individual and I think the innovation really comes from saying that you know you don't need just one thing Um, you kind of need all of these things and they look a little different for different populations or different people. But the innovation comes from saying, how can we weave these things, health and housing and employment and peer support, weave them together in a way that is really synergistic where each of the interventions kind of plays off of one another and the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And again, Mm -hmm. that might look different, you know, what? young person. Anyway, for different populations, it may look different. And so the innovation can take a lot of different forms.
0: And Dorenda, we talked about this a little bit about isolation during the pandemic. We've learned a lot about isolation. It's something that can really take a tremendous toll on people. What impact have you seen Bridge Meadows have on social isolation? And what do you think the larger community can learn from that?
2: What we've seen about social, what we know about social isolation, is when we live this way in a social, socially isolated way, we are so much more at risk for harm to our health and our mental well-being. And what we see at Bridge Meadows, some of the innovation there, as Rachel was saying, it's a housing community first and foremost, with a purpose, and the purpose is that the community members are going to support one another. And so we bring together housing. We bring together mental health services right on site. And we bring together peer support, as Rachel was saying. What we have seen with Bridge Meadows and social isolation is that, the, that everybody was caring about each other. And the neighbors were helping neighbors, helping with meals, making sure folks had access to food. And the elders were helping the children with school so that the parents could go to work. They were doing that safely, masked six feet apart in the courtyard, using um, Zoom and all of those other technical, tech, tech, digital platforms to help them do that. And so when you are living connected, your risk of social isolation decreases. And our uh, surgeon general has stated that social isolation is an epidemic and as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We don't think about that. We think, oh, it's kind of nice to have friends who care about you. But actually, it's one of the most important things we need to do for our health. And the global pandemic really illuminated the importance of us being connected.
0: Thank you, Duranda. and I know, Rachel, you also try to tackle that social isolation at Central City Concern. You've been talking about this holistic approach to health. What are some interventions, maybe some stories people might not think of that can help with a person's health and help them heal?
3: Hmm.
0: Well, um, I know you talked about maybe you know, helping I'll somebody talk- with a pet.
1: Of course, of course, yeah. I, and I'm thinking about that in the context of COVID as well, where sometimes the things which have been instrumental to someone in maintaining their support and social connection um, may be at risk with, with COVID. If someone is, um, what we found is, For instance, if we were concerned that um, someone had been exposed to COVID and needed to remain in in their home in isolation, what would be all the things that they would need to be able to maintain that kind of connection? And sometimes it is these What you think of as the basics, delivery of food, delivery of medication, but also our residents told us, gosh, I have pets here. I would need someone to help take that dog for a walk or to ensure that that dog has food. It's those small things that that make a big difference. One of the, I always say one of the best lessons I learned in medical school was when one of the professors said to me, do small things with great love. And I think in this time in particular that um, axiom really rings true.
0: That's a wonderful mm-hmm. motto to live by. Uh, Dorenda, do you foresee a time when we'll see more communities like Bridge Meadows?
2: I do, Laurel. I, we every day, we can't build Bridge Meadows communities fast enough, I should share that with you. We have a very long waiting list because people are really wanting to live connected to one another and feeling like they belong and feeling as though they're, they're, they matter in this world and what they have to give matters in this world. And we are seeing um, an increase. The United States is seeing an increase in communities of color growing. I just read a statistic that said four out of 10 people identify with a race or ethnicity that is not white. And we know that in the uh, black, indigenous and people of color communities, more living intergenerationally and in community is natural. It's what everybody does. It addresses, um issues of child care so parents can go to work it addresses housing stability and it's a beautiful safety net and here we are making that happen at bridge meadows with people who come from all over the country to um take good care of each other whether it's a grandmother adopting their uh, grandchildren who've been in foster care or an elder who comes from manhattan because they want to live in community so We do are seeing more and more people asking us to come to different cities to make Bridge Meadows communities. And we're seeing more and more of our uh, friends in the BIPOC communities who are saying, we need to live intergenerationally and we need to live connected. And uh, uh, we're honored to keep doing it. I I want to not have a two year waiting list for elders at Bridge Meadows. That's a goal we have.
0: We only have about 30 Mm -hmm. seconds left, but I wanted to ask Rachel, what is your hope for the future?
1: Well, I I would say that we think about this kind of integration of these solutions being in synergy that we don't think of it as innovation anymore, that we don't Mm -hmm. set up solutions that are isolated, but we know how to weave them together, not just at the ground level, but really at the system level, at the state level, at the federal level, so that this kind of interplay of different supports to help end homelessness becomes our best practice and not just an innovation.
0: Rachel and Dorenda, thank you so much for joining us here on Stray Talk. Thank you for the good work you're doing. If you'd like to find out more or donate to these nonprofits, here are the links to their websites at Central City Concern and Bridge Meadows. Coming up next, how a simple bench and a team of grandmothers is taking on depression in Zimbabwe and what we can learn from it here. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk, I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about innovative, community-based solutions to healthcare, including mental health. And this one that started in Zimbabwe is truly unique. It's called the Friendship Bench, and it trains grandmothers to be mental health counselors. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Dixon Chibanda, a psychiatrist, professor, and founder and CEO of The Friendship Bench. Dr. Chibanda joins us here on Straight Talk from Harare, Zimbabwe. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk. It's a pleasure to have you here to talk about your innovative community-based solution to addressing mental health.
3: Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be part of this.
0: Well, first of all, tell us about the need. What is the situation in Zimbabwe when it comes to mental health and the number of care providers available?
3: Well, Zimbabwe, like uh, any of the other regional countries or low and middle income countries, has a great need in terms of um, mental health. The treatment gap, as we call it, for mental neurological and substance use disorders in Zimbabwe is massive. You have a ratio of one psychiatrist to about one and a half million people. So the need is massive.
0: So what sparked the idea for the Friendship Bench? I know there's a really interesting story behind what gave you the idea.
3: It was really mainly the, a tragic loss of one of my clients um, who I talk about extensively in my TED talk uh, Erica was her name. Erica took her own life and the reason why, you know, she, she kind of took her own life was because they, they, really couldn't, um, they really couldn't come to the hospital where I worked at the time as a psychiatrist. And so that loss of Erica, you know, was the trigger for me to start thinking of how best to take mental health to the community so that people don't have to actually come to the hospital to get services.
0: Tell us how the Friendship Bench works. How do you choose and train the grandmothers and what exactly do they do?
3: So the model is pretty simple. What we do is we train trainers from communities across the country who then go on to train grandmothers in those communities. We allocate wooden park benches in those communities and we facilitate referrals to the benches through social media, through the radio and through primary health care facilities. And after a few sessions on the bench, um, clients are referred to join a support group in their communities. And in essence, that's, uh, that's how it works. And all of this is rooted in, um, in empirical evidence. We have over 50 peer reviewed publications about the Friendship Bank. So it's really rooted in science.
0: How do, how do you choose the grandmothers and how do you go about training them?
3: The grandmothers are normally selected within their own communities by people who are respected in those communities Um, the city health department is involved church organizations can be involved and they have to be grandmothers who are um, rooted in those geographical localities where we are introducing the friendship bench and the reason why we do that is because we, we strongly believe that um, you know, grandmothers who have lived in a particular area you know, are very much familiar with the local wisdom and the culture, and they are able to assist um, those communities in which they have, they, have been, they have lived all their lives.
0: Can you give us an idea of what one of the sessions might be like with a client?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, we normally have our sessions uh, run in the local language, which is Shona. And the first component of the the, the session is called Kuvurapfungwa, which literally means opening up the mind. And so during this session uh, where we talk about Kuvurapfungwa, what is literally happening is the grandmother is listening to this story. So. In other words, the bench really is a platform that enables people to share their lived experiences and their stories. And through that storytelling, the grandmother identifies the problems that a person may be facing. And after that, we move on to the next session, which is called um, uplifting or kusimuzira, where they identify a problem and zero in on a solution, which is very specific um, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely uh, and from there they strengthen the ability of the client to go on to, to resolve that problem once they get home. So in a nutshell that's, that's what they do but obviously there are other components which are, t- uh, which are linked to behaviour activation and activity scheduling that the grandmothers uh, will provide during that session.
0: How successful doctor have you been? How many people have you treated?
3: In the last four years, we've reached uh, over 80,000 people. And um, the impact itself is measured as I indicated earlier on through a number of peer reviewed publication. And one of our biggest publication is in the journal of the American Medical Association, which is a cluster randomized controlled trial, which shows that six months after receiving therapy from a grandmother uh, on a bench, people remained symptom-free from depression and did not have suicidal thoughts.
0: Well, that is successful. Why grandmothers? What's special and unique about them that makes this program work so well?
3: Well, firstly, in this part of the world, and I believe in in most parts of the world, um, grandmothers are the custodians of the local culture and wisdom. And grandmothers are truly rooted in their communities and they create that, that, that glue that brings the community together and they are approachable and they are good listeners and they also are very good storytellers.
0: Well, I'm a grandmother. I hope that I'm like, <laughs> like that. What, what impact have you seen the program have on the grandmothers?
3: Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, when we first started, we were actually concerned that the grandmothers would, would be overwhelmed with all the challenges and all the problems that they were having to address. But, you know, ironically, a few years ago, we carried out a study to look into the mental health of the grandmothers who were working on Friendship Bench. And what we found was that Friendship Bench actually was very protective against um, mental health um, challenges when we compared the grandmothers who are working on Friendship Bench versus grandmothers who are not working on, on, on the Friendship Bench. So in a nutshell, it has strengthened the grandmothers, given them a sense of belonging in their community and a sense of purpose um, as well. So it's a win-win, actually. They are providing a service to the community and it's helping the grandmothers to have a sense of purpose in those communities as well.
0: As successful as this is, it is non-traditional. Have you met much resistance from the medical profession to this unique approach to mental health care?
3: When we first started, definitely, there was a lot of resistance. You know, um, no one really believed that, you know, grandmothers with minimal education could go on to deliver, you know, um, aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is normally delivered by trained psychiatrists and psychologists, you know, so there was much resistance. And this is one of the reasons why the friendship bench is truly rooted in empirical observation. And we, we publish everything that we're doing in peer reviewed scientific journals. So, now obviously there's a lot more acceptance of the program because um, of all the publications and the results that we're having both at community level and at national level.
0: Have you been able to expand the program beyond Zimbabwe?
3: Definitely, yeah. We, we've introduced the model in, uh, in Malawi, uh, in Tanzania, in Zanzibar, in Kenya, and we piloted Friendship Bench in New York City as well, in the Bronx and, and in Harlem through the New York City Health Department, yeah.
0: What do you think that we can learn here in the US and in Portland, Oregon, from the Friendship Bench model?
3: I think that the key lessons really is that every one of us can provide support, mental health support in our communities. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You know, the key, the key lesson here is, you know, we need to have empathy and, um, you know, and the ability to really make people feel respected and understood. And that is pervasive. That is a pervasive global thing that you can have everywhere. You know, it's, it, you don't need much training for that.
0: You were really inspired by coming up with this based on, on the tragedy that you experienced. What's your next goal? What, what's your dream, if you could dream big, doctor?
3: My big dream, which is the vision of Friendship Bench is to have a Friendship Bench within walking distance everywhere because I truly believe that if we can make it possible for communities to support each other globally, we will make the world a better place
0: can you tell us a, a briefly maybe a story about a, a real success story that you've had through this
3: well there are many success stories um just just last week i was having a chat with one of the grandmothers um, where we were talking about a client that had come to the bench and um, this client was living with hiv and um, was struggling to come to terms with their hiv status and we're actually contemplating suicide and through a series of sessions on the bench with a grandmother using the steps that I indicated earlier on. This, um, this client eventually you know, got out of this depression and they began to see the light and they are now actually back at work and supporting their family. You know, so these small little stories you know, have such great impact in the community and, and, and in families as well. Because this is a breadwinner who was about to to you know terminate his own life, but but by going to the bench, sitting down, and talking to the grandmother, the person has has transformed. You know, and we have lots of these kind of stories, you know, on a daily basis in our communities. Thank
0: Dr. You. Dixon Chibanda, thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk. Thank you for your good work. If you'd like to learn more about the Friendship Bench, here's the website, and I'll include a link on this story on kgw.com and on the KGW app. Thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk. We're off next week for the Memorial Day holiday. We'll see you in two weeks for Straight Talk.